John 3.30, the greatest ever, you've got to have that in the back of your mind the whole time, says this of Jesus, he must increase but I must decrease. That's what he has to say. So there's something in humility, there's something in uh, pursuing God that says less and less and less of me means more of him. And I don't know about you, whether you're, if you're a Christian here, I hope your heart is you want more of Jesus in your life. That, that more of Jesus would be visible. If you're not a Christian here yet this morning, you maybe haven't made a decision for Jesus yet, then my prayer for you is that you would have Jesus in your life that would be more than you had before. Here, he must increase, I must decrease, is what John the Baptist has to say. And last week, Jim preached brilliantly. I've got to follow after the legendary Jim McGlade. And uh, he's talking about the flesh versus the spirit from Galatians 5. And again, this is a bit of a battle, isn't it? It's an internal battle between... We want Jesus to increase, but in order for that to happen, it's kind of countercultural for us to say, oh, I kind of need to get out of the way. For there to be more of Jesus, there has to be less of me. That goes against like everything seemingly that's built within us. Almost asking the question, how can I make myself less known so that Jesus is more known? Like That goes against everything in our culture, doesn't it, about pushing ourselves forward and being seen. But how can I make myself less known in order that... Jesus can be more known. John was this guy who was filled with the Spirit. I love this. Filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. That's quite cool, isn't it? As, as a way to start in life. Um, he was a bit of a kind of hermit guy, a wild guy, ate locusts and honey, wore obscure clothing. But he was driven. He knew his mission. He knew what he was doing. And he got on with it. He was baptizing people out in the wilderness. And when asked who John was, he said, I'm the voice of the Lord. The voice of the one calling in the desert makes straight the way for the Lord. That's what he said of himself. I'm, I'm on a mission to show you who Jesus is. He was set apart for, for God, by God. He didn't just talk about repentance and living a holy life before God. He did it. He demonstrated it. And he was prepared to be martyred for his faith. In fact, we read about it, don't we? You can read about it in the Gospels that John the Baptist is murdered. He's killed because he doesn't want to compromise his faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest, Jesus says. The greatest ever. Let me read this. John 3, 22 through 36, if you've got a Bible. It follows on from those famous words, for God so loved the world. It's the very next bit that comes after that. Um, and it says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing uh, near Salem because, I love this. Because water was plentiful there. That's what it says in my translation. John was baptizing because there was water. Great. Uh, John had not yet been put in prison. Uh, that's just so that we have a timeline that we know John's still out there doing his ministry. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, talking about Jesus, whom you've bore witness, look, He's baptizing, and all are going to him. In other words, they're saying, John, all those people that should be coming to you for baptism, they're going to Jesus now. Stirring the pot. That's what's going on here. The guys are stirring the pot like, John, what do you think about Jesus seemingly stealing your disciples? This is not on, John. This is not right. He's baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, 
but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Uh, Speaking of himself, he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. You've got almost a repeat here of John 3.16 in some ways. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's, that's the passage, that's what's going on um, in, in that passage there. It's almost set up when you read that, when I read that, as like a Jesus v. John narrative. Like they're squaring up for a bit of a brawl. And the crowd are trying to push John's buttons. Like, John, have you seen that Jesus is doing this? John, this should be you. This is your moment to be in the light. This is your moment to be famous. And Jesus is stealing all your people. What are you going to do about it? And John's like, he must increase. I must decrease. That's fine. I'll step to the side if I can make much of Jesus. And like I said, it kind of goes against everything within us because we love to be complimented, don't we? Right? That's a fun thing. We love getting compliments. We love being told wonderful things about ourselves and being praised. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was visiting up at, uh, a couple of you might know this because I, uh, anyway, uh, visiting up at our, our Royal Hospital, uh, somebody, and as I was there, um, just praying and chatting and, and basically being pastoral uh, at the hospital bedside, this sister of uh, the ward came over. And um, I was wearing my usual attire, just so you can imagine the scene. Shorts and a t-shirt. And um, the sister of the... I, I'm, I'm, I'm told they're quite, you know, they kind of run the ward, if you like. Comes over uh, as I'm talking to this person at the bedside, and she goes, are you, uh, are you a doctor? I was like, oh, this is going well. I thought like saying, well, yes, I am, and this is all that's wrong with her, but I thought I can't do that. So I said, uh, no, actually, I'm not, and got into a little conversation there. And it turns out, as I left then, after feeling slightly awkward that she was looking at me going, are you a doctor? Thinking, oh, that's nice. And it turns out later she was saying, oh, so that guy, that good-looking guy wasn't your doctor friend? I'm thinking, oh, like, massaged my ego in some way. I went home, first thing I did was told Grace, you'll never guess what, Grace. Someone thought I was a doctor. I actually messaged a couple of doctors in church and said, <laughs> they think I'm like you. That's terrible for you. Anyway, we like getting compliments, don't we? I thought, oh, I look like a doctor. must be in the beard. Anyway, fast forward. A month later, three weeks later, visiting the same person, having a conversation. And they bring up, oh, do you remember that, that lady that, that came up and said, do you, you think you're a doctor? I was like, yes, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing jeans today. I look even more like a doctor than I did last time I was here. And uh, she goes, well, um, I've got some bad news. It seems that any male that comes onto this ward, any male, she does the same line with. <laughs> I was thinking, I've still got it. No, I haven't. <laughs> Not one bit. But it made me laugh. 
And I thought, that's really funny. That's quite interesting here because our default is to be like, oh, we like to be complimented. Whatever it is, in whatever sphere, we're like, oh, yes, that's great. But John here is like, he has the prime opportunity. He's the greatest ever, according to Jesus, has the prime opportunity. And instead of seizing and go, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, he goes, I want you to look at Jesus. He seizes the opportunity for Jesus. And when it comes to speaking, when it comes to you sharing your faith, I'm sure Andy will attest to this when, in terms of evangelism, we want to be communicating Jesus, don't we? You know, when we've got messages and sermons, I know this is my heart, and I'm sh- I know it's Carl's, and it'll be forever's preaching us. When we're preaching and speaking, what I don't want is people going, oh, that was a great message. I want people going, that was a great Jesus. Wow, how great is Jesus? How great is God? And that has to be the same in our communication, is people aren't going, wow, but they're going, wow, Jesus. That's what happens with John the Baptist, and he's described as the greatest. So I'm like, if he's described as the greatest, I kind of want to be like that. Sometimes it can feel like, oh, to be like Jesus feels a little bit unobtainable, right? Oh, he's just perfect. Well, here, John the Baptist, well, okay, maybe I can be a little bit like him. So the question for me seems to be this. John seems to straddle greatness and humility at the same time. He seems to be a, to be a great guy, a really godly guy, but walking humbly with God. And that fruit of the Spirit that Jim talked about last week, we want that present in our life, don't we? We want that visible for people to see. So I almost feel like I came across this great quote. I can't remember who it's by. Um, but I'm not going to pretend I poetically made this up, but a little bit like us. How can we be, this is poetic, okay, so you can tell I've, I've found this. How can we be a star that's then eclipsed by the rising sun? Okay, the star is still shining brightly in the darkness, right? But it's eclipsed by the rising sun of who Jesus is. That people just, they see us initially shining brightly in the darkness. But then as we introduce them to Jesus, they're just taken aback by how amazing he is. So what can we learn from John the Baptist and this passage, I think? Uh, A couple of things here that I I hope and pray will help us in, in shining, but pointing our hope towards pointing people towards Jesus, okay? So, if you've got your Bible, uh, first I want to look here is verse 26 and 27 of the passage in front of you, and it says this. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. The point John's making there is he replies to the disciples is, everything I have is from God. My gifts, my abilities, my ministry, my moments, it's all from him. Therefore, because it's all from him, it's all for him. Therefore, if he chooses to take it away from me, well, that's up to him. He can do that. He's God. I'm not. But he's saying, all that I have is from him. All that I have is for him. And uh, so often in life, life turns into a bit of a competition, doesn't it? Um, As you'll know, I'm a Liverpool fan, and Shankly, one of the greatest managers, said, for some football is a matter of life and death. This is what he famously said. And he said, I assure you, it's far more serious than that. He's wrong. Sorry to disagree with the great man, but he's wrong. It's not, it's a game. And it doesn't actually matter. 
it, I don't know, that's a big deal for me to say that. Maybe I can say that because my team are top of the league. But it doesn't, but it doesn't even matter. <laughs> All that we have is from God. All we have is for God. We all run the same race. We all enter in the same way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. And we spend so much of our time probably doing what John the Baptist doesn't hear. Oh, this person's done that. And this person, oh, well, what am I going to do about that? Here's my moment to shove them to one side or to take the glory and steal the glory from God. But here, John's like, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's why the most humble thing for us to do is, even if it's countercultural, is to decrease. It, it seems like, oh, this is like a painful thing for us to decrease in order that he would increase. But if God's the creator and I'm the creation, then that seems right. If God's the potter and I'm the clay, then great. Imagine right now, if you will, okay, you're stood before the throne of God. Okay, I want you to put yourself there. Put yourself in that position. You're stood there. In your head, go there. What would you say if you only had a few minutes face-to-face with God? What would you say? You would probably be like, wow. You're great, I'm not. Let's fast track that and do this this side of us being in the throne room. I honestly believe nothing will help us grow in our humility more than drawing into the presence of God. The more we draw into his presence, the more we're intentional, the more we pray, the more we spend time with him, the more we realize all that I have is from him. All that I have is for him. All that I should do should be for him. I mean, just look in the Bible, you see instant humility on people that maybe weren't humble before. You have David, who he's drawn into the presence of God, and he's humbled. Or Job, who's drawn into the presence of God, and God's response to Job is, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth on its foundations? And Job's like, yeah, you got me. You've got me, God, that's fine. David, Job, Isaiah, just to name a few. When they draw into the presence of God, when they spend time in his presence, humility is the result. There's like this, I want more of God in my life and less of me. And that only happens when they draw into the presence of God. So life is not a competition. It's not. We're all running the same race. And on it, we need to know who we are. Our identity is critical in us being able to shine brightly into the darkness. In us to be able to, for John the Baptist, he needed to know who he was and he needed to know who Jesus was. In order for him to say, he must increase and I must decrease, he's got to have a handle on both, hasn't he? He's got to. He's absolutely got to know what he's doing, but he's got to know who Jesus was. And of course, John knew that. Verse 28 You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John knew he wasn't the Messiah. John knew he wasn't the Savior and the Rescuer. You've got that lovely bit um, where John is baptizing Jesus, haven't you? Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan, Matthew 3, to be baptized by John. And John tries to deter him and he says this, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me? Jesus, what are you doing? This should be the other way around. John knew 
who he was, and he knew he needed rescuing. And because he knew he needed rescuing, it meant that God was increased in his life. He wasn't walking around thinking, I'm the bee's knees, although he did like, he did like locusts and all the kind of wild honey stuff. But he wasn't, he wasn't thinking like that. He was thinking, oh man, I need Jesus. Yes, John is unique. Yes, he was created for a purpose, but so are you. We know that, right? Every single one of us, I believe this, every single one of us, we're in this room together for a reason. I don't believe accidents just happen. We're worshipping the living God. We're here to worship the living God, and we are all created to follow after him. John was the greatest because he knew what his call was, and he got on with it. Well, what's our call, church? Is it not to make much of Jesus? Is it not to shine brightly into the darkness so that people see the light of Christ? That's the call. That's what we're stepping onto. That's why we started the church. That's why it's here. That's why Redeemer King exists, that people would know about Jesus. So what are your gifts? What are your abilities? Use them to draw attention to Jesus. Use them to draw attention to Jesus. I had this moment this week as I was dwelling on um, this passage. And um, my granddad passed away about five and a bit years ago. Um, Wasn't a man, I I think he's with Jesus, but wasn't a man who uh, necessarily for the whole of his life was was following after God. But um, as he was in hospital, you know, seemed to really be grasping and getting to grips with who God was more than he'd ever done before, which brought me great comfort. And um, he, was a, he was an Evertonian, unbelievably. Um, so I'm sure it grieved him that his grandchildren uh, and family did not like the bitters at all. And um, this memory, as I was thinking about John 3, popped into my head that my granddad... Now, this is, this is big news. If you don't appreciate football, you might not think this is big news, but this is big news. As an Evertonian would take me, a Liverpool fan, to Anfield to watch Liverpool play other teams. That's, that's a big deal. As like a, a lifelong Evertonian to do that. Because uh, he would hate it. It would be like me. It would be like Elijah making the worst decision of his life to become a Man United fan. <laughs> and me having to take him to Old Trafford. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I need to be there. It, that, that's what it would be like. And it popped into my head, and the, these words just literally popped into my head out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere, the memory, because I was, I was just thinking about this passage and John increasing. And so often with the world, it's all about who shouts the loudest, isn't it? You know, is, is our voice going to be heard louder than other people's voices? whether that's in arguments, whether that's at work, whether that's in life. Will my voice be heard? Will my point of view be heard? And it's often the people that shout the loudest, right? Or at least we think it is. And it was as if God said to me, it's not about who shouts the loudest. It's about modeling gentleness and kindness, and people will see it. It's it's about what we say, yes, but it's not about just that. It's about gentleness and kindness. And the... the reason that came into my mind, I think, was because my granddad was the most gentle man I've ever met. Incredibly gentle. Incredibly kind. Incredibly gracious. A quiet man, yes. But it reminded me of Matthew 5 and Beatitude Living. You know, for, for Jesus to increase and for us to decrease is Beatitude Living. Showing mercy. Showing gentleness. Pursuing purity. 
loving your enemies, being a, pa- a peacemaker. Not shouting the loudest, but demonstrating what God's done in your heart in how you go about your life. Could be quietly, could be gently, could be kindly. It's precisely what John the Baptist does here. Of all the people in the world ever, you think, here's my moment. I can get a billion Instagram likes on my post. John goes, I'm going to step to the side into the shadow that Jesus be full on in the light. And look at verse 29. This is, this is amazing. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. In Ephesians 5, the bride, uh, the church is described as the bride. So this is a foretaste of that, if you like. Uh, And the bridegroom, he's talking about Jesus. So what he's saying is, John is saying, I am doing best man duties. That's what he's saying. I'm doing best man duties for Jesus. The wedding is coming up. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is his bride. And I'm best man. Now, I remember my best man at my wedding. And his job was to get me to the church. His job was to get me there on time. His job was to calm me down. His job was to make me feel, this is, this is, this is good, Dan. You can do this. He even let me beat him at golf the day before, so he says, um, in order to cheer me up. Um, but that, the whole idea was, get Dan to the church. Get Dan there for the wedding. Now, once I'm there and I'm married, the best man should disappear, right? The best man doesn't come on the honeymoon. And if he does, he shouldn't. His job is done. He's got the bridegroom to the bride. That was John. Jesus then did the rest. And what I love about John is he is cheering Jesus on. You see that? He says, my joy, his joy is now complete in being the best man. In Jesus stepping into his ministry, in rescuing people like me, John is like, my joy is complete. Jesus is doing his thing. This is the best thing ever. I'm going to step to one side. That's amazing, isn't it? In our culture, so often what we want to do is we want to tear each other down in order that we promote ourselves, right? That's what we try and do. We compare ourselves against one another. Think, oh, well, next to this person, I'm sorry. Comparison kills. Instead, let's be people that cheer one another on. Now, if you're sat here this morning thinking, you know, it's all well and good. You've been saying, use my gifts and abilities to serve God. I don't know what my gifts and abilities are. I want you to pray that God will give you the gift of being an encourager. Being someone who cheers on because it is absolutely massive. If you've ever done any kind of endurance event, I mean, I've done like two in my life. But in both of them, if people weren't there cheering me on, I'd have just given up. I'd have just quit. You know, length five of my 400 length swim, I'd have given up. Well, maybe not length five, but you know what I'm saying. I I wouldn't have made it. But encouragement, cheering each other on, makes a massive difference. And if the greatest person ever born among women cheers Jesus on, cheers someone else on to his own degradation in many ways, then is that not good enough for us too? So if you see someone is doing some amazing things for Jesus, cheer them on. Encourage them. 
build one another up. Continue to build one another up. Um, that's what church is about. We're to be encouraging one another. Because we want people to follow Jesus, right? I want people to follow Jesus. That's what it's all about. And that's who they need to follow. And so finally here, I love what John does. I'm not going to quote the whole passage. But finally, I want us to be like John in that we talk about Jesus. So we encourage like John encourages. Encourage the good when you see it. um, Because that's important. But also here, we talk about Jesus. Just look at this, right? I'm not going to read it out. But these are all the references that just in this short passage that John the Baptist makes about Jesus. He says, he who comes from above, he is above all. He who comes from heaven, God has sent him. He has the spirit without measure. The father loves the son. He has given him all things. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe him and obey shall not see life. He goes on and on and on and on about Jesus. And this is like one of the most famous guys of the time, right? But his message is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let me put it to you. You can never love Jesus too much. And you will never be able to trust him too much. There will always be more that we can trust him in. There will always be more that we can love him. Maybe you're here for the very first time thinking, well... That's great for the Christians amongst us, but what about me? I'm just investigating faith. What difference does this make to me in the here and now? Well, I think verse 36 makes a massive difference to all of us. Because he says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And what I love about that is it doesn't say will have eternal life. It says has eternal life which is present, which is right now. It's as if John says, yes, I've got my stuff, I've, I've been doing this stuff, but hey, that's Jesus. I need you to see Jesus. So I'm going to talk about Jesus, and this is why. Because he's the one who will change your life. And he'll change your life now, forever. That is a testimony of everybody who has ever put their trust in Jesus who carries on on the narrow path, who follows after him is, he changed my life. I put my trust in him and he gave me eternal life. Not something like this far off distant dream, but something that's been placed in our hearts in the present. John couldn't do that. John couldn't rescue, but Jesus could. So talk about Jesus. Make much of Jesus in your conversations because he's the one who takes our sin, takes our shame, takes our hopelessness, dies upon a cross for the sin of the world so that anybody who puts their trust in him is just as Jesus is raised from death to life, is raised from the old life to new life. That Today, if you said yes to Jesus, eternal life starts now. That's why John said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's why in our conversations, in how we live, I want to pray that we'll be people who say, he must increase. I want more of Jesus in my life. I want it to be more visible than it's ever been before. And I think humility modeled by John here is a huge part of that. And let me just say this to finish. It is not being down on yourself. It is not going, oh, 
well, I can't do any of that kind of thing. Because John doesn't do that. John carries on. John's faithful. John carries on with what God has given him to do. He doesn't say, I haven't got gifts. I haven't got abilities. The creator of the universe created you, especially, especially created you with a plan and a purpose. Because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So that means every single one of us has a part to play. Every single one of us can be like John. Every single one of us can have that in our heart. And we can have it today if we just turn around and say yes to Jesus for the first time.